thank you for downloading the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. I mean, you might have downloaded it, and you might just be listening to it without actually having downloaded it. I think such things are possible, but it'd be fun if you did download it. Yeah, because that's why I say it, because I'm in the hopes of people going, didn't download it, I was streaming it, and then I'm trying to, like... Positive, preemptive, passive... Yeah, because then if I say thank you for downloading the Cast Iron Theatre podcast, they might go, oh, I should download it instead of streaming it. Well, it was saving your data. I mean, we were just thinking about you. Yeah, downloading's good, isn't it? Yeah, downloading's good, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a while since we've done a podcast. It has been. We we had an extraordinarily uh, busy March. It's the month that keeps on giving. It's a blend to April. I think we're just about recovering from March. Yeah. And we're, well, not to say that we're getting any less busy in April. No, no, we're busying ourselves up nicely. Um, <laughs> sounded really wrong. Did it? Yeah. Um, yeah, we were... So the last time people will have heard from us would be the 10th of March. Which, at the time of the recording of this, is literally a month ago. A month ago. And we said cheerfully, see you next week. Yeah, see you on Sunday, I think we said. We, we were planning. Yeah. And then, you know... And then our, we got a bit ill. Got a bit ill and we, we, uh, creative... And, Ill and creative. Which is the best way. It's like a Byronesquic. Byronesquic? Byronesquic. <laughs> Six million dollar Byronesquic <laughs> Yeah. So we got we got sick. Like, you got a bit sick, and then I got sick, and then I threw it back at you to get sick, and then I got sick again. So we had, like, four colds. It's like a sadomachistic tennis game. Yeah, with colds instead colds. of a tennis ball. Yeah. Yeah, so that's what happened. Um, excuses, and then excuses. Well, it's okay to have excuses. Yeah. We're adults, yeah. we're, you know. But it, and it's also true. Yes, it's true. There's an implication that excuses are lies and yeah. therefore weak stuff, and it's not that. It's it's valid. It's true. It's what happened. We both got sick. Yeah. And what you don't want on your podcast listening is is two sick people coughing and spluttering. No. Through their podcast. This that's is true. what that's what we made that executive decision. We're also we were busy with the cast iron short play night at the start of this month. Yeah, there was um we put out a submission query for people to submit their plays mm. on various um websites and we got noticed by uh, the London Playwrights uh group, we uh, BBC uh, Writers Room, mm-hmm. which meant we got a record number of submissions. Yeah, we did. And uh, we whittled those down to the remaining five, which we staged, well, it was last week at Sweet Works, and that was a glorious two nights of uh, new writing. What was lovely was a couple of writers um, came down to say hello and watch their work, and yeah. um, also came down, not specifically to tell us this, but they came down and told us that they listened to the, web, the podcast itself. Oh, uh, no, I did a blush. Did you blush? I, d- yeah. I yes, the, uh, yeah. So thank you, uh, actually, for telling us that you uh, yeah. listen, because like any form of social media, you don't always know if you're just shouting into the wind. Yeah. And um, not communicating with people. Yeah. So we, yeah, no, we really love, meeting our listeners even though we might look rather panicked when that happens yeah <laughs> i think i i went i had a very british moment and then just walked away <laughs> well thank you for listening i it's just words really isn't it just yeah. words and then left but yeah uh afterwards when i thought about how lovely that was i was warm to my very cockles yes so yeah it was nice yeah it was good and one of the things that was being chatted about is specifically the last podcast episode that we uh, shared with you when we were talking about essentially what we tend to be looking for when we're accepting submissions of a short play. Not that it's necessarily the right or wrong way to do short plays. And there are still, even today, I've read discussions online about people genuinely not seeing the point of a short play, not seeing the logic of it, mm. which is a I have opinions about that. I do. But we'll save that for another time because that's not what we're talking about today. No, because what we're talking about today is um, our short story submission window that is open right now. 
um, and will be uh, closing. It's carrying my window metaphor forward. It will be. It will be it, it's open right now, and it will be closing at some point in the future. It, no, it will be. I know exactly well. I was just stunned by my very own metaphor. Yeah. Um, it, it will be closing that window of opportunity. Oh yeah, no, it does work. The submission window will be closing on the twenty sixth of April, five pm. So not long, I mean, how many words are we writing for the, if we were to submit a story, how many real words is one writing for that short story? We're looking for stories that have a limit of 1,500 words. We have had um, a few people send us some very short flash fiction, um, which is fine, and they will be judged alongside the 1,500 pieces because yeah. it's about narrative and it's about story, so... We're looking for stories with the theme of sanctuary. And I can't, I can't have realised since announcing that theme that I found it very tricky to say. Sanctuary. I want to speak a little bit about that theme later, but uh, I think I want to ask you right now is because these stories that are being submitted mm. for this uh, opportunity, um, anybody writing these stories uh, or offering these stories up will be aware that... In this particular instance, they are being written to be read aloud by an actor in June. And obviously there are many, many short stories that were always written as prose and do work quite well if somebody reads them out loud. But arguably these stories are written with that intention in mind. Is there a difference? You know, uh, are there stories that... You know, we might read and go. No, that that just reads better with me and my book curled up on a sofa, and doesn't work quite well spoken out loud. Or are there tricks and means to get forward on that? I have been mulling this over for a few months, and I think that ultimately, any good bit of writing of prose will always sound good spoken aloud. I think that it's possible to have some tricks that you can do when you are writing prose in order for it to nip along quickly, have a quick plot, have a great turn of phrase that sound great aloud. But I think overall, if it's good writing, it will grab an audience whether they are reading it in their heads or they are being read to because that's essentially what it is isn't it we're we're asking for stories that will be read live so the audience experience of that is that they are being read to yeah and i think although i'm happy to be wrong i think it doesn't matter and there isn't a particular thing that you can do with tense, with um, active or passive voice or any of these things. There's not, there's not a hard and fast rule that makes something that that makes something better when read aloud. Because, and I don't know what you think about this. Because initially you'd think, oh, I'll write a monologue then, and it'll be first person, it'll be present tense, it'll be a monologue. But that's not necessarily, you know, we're not we're not just looking for monologues. So that wouldn't be an answer. You might say, oh, less verbose sentences, short, sharp, snappy sentences, active voice. You might say uh, everyday sort of language, less flowery language. But I don't know. I th- I think good writing wins out. Yeah, I, I think what you were saying earlier about um, it being nippy is actually, like an estate agent, deceptively simple. That's the point of being nippy uh, because there has to be a speed and a, a, about the way your story presents itself. Mm. And it's um, because it's been spoken out, which is why the, the monologues, first-person narratives are strong contenders because that gives you a shortcut into snapping along. Mm-hmm. and having that engagement with the audience because there's a thing with um a short story that you read much like a podcast actually you can come back and forth to it at your own pace and you can 
demand of it what the story gives to you and you can stop for a moment take a breather consider what that particular phrase means whereas if a short story is being read to you or it's being read for public consumption then that story has to do a lot of that heavy lifting for you you the audience don't have the time to unless you're doing going to do it literally after the event and let it sit with you for a while but with, while that story's being read out you don't have that headspace to go hang on I need to digest that for a moment so the story needs to do that a bit for you which is why the first person monologue tends to work quite well and so I would argue particularly in that idea of nipping some pace and one-on-one engagement because that's the other thing when you're writing for a public audience don't think about it as for 30 people 40 people think about it as for one person it's still an intimate conversation but I wouldn't be so concerned whether it's a one-person story or if it's a cast of thousands I'm not that convinced I'll be that interested in world building, especially in a a story that's only 1,500 words. I'm not going to be particularly engaged if one is going to spend 400 of those words telling me what the town looks and smells like. Not for 400 words, certainly, because that's that's about a quarter of your story. And I want to get straight into if your story has characters, because arguably some stories do not have characters, what they're feeling, thinking and responding to. There are so many things in what you've just said that I would like to get into. So does that mean that you and I disagree somewhat? Because I'm you're right when nippy nippy plot is a good turn of phrase and and I think you're right that if it's being read aloud it has to be nippy. But I don't necessarily think that the first person present tense monologue is advantageous to anything else. What do you mean? I don't think it has an, a distinct advantage. I think there's there's more there's there's third person uh, past tense that has that that can hold its own. Oh, certainly. And advantageous is, is a misleading term, I think. I certainly can accept the argument that first person monologue does some of your work for you. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that it's better or advantageous, but it means that because you're getting directly into what the person is saying, and indeed they can be an unreliable narrator, it means there's a lot of other stuff that you don't necessarily need to spend time with. So... Whether or not I'm talking about first person being advantageous or bluntly easier, but none of those mean things mean that it's better. No. And does that mean then that you think nippy is best because it's less verbose, less flowery, less lengthy descriptions about things? Because I know what you mean about 1,500 words not giving you a huge amount of time to world build and I think you're right but if you take the best 1,500 word story and it's got poetic metaphor simile beautiful elongated sentences and you put it next to another really good or the best 1,500 word story assuming that they both function as really good stories independently would a story that has more punchy sentences, short and sharp, visceral sort of language, but would that be better for the listener than something more poetical and um, flowery? Well, that's what I, I keep I'm... saying flowery as if it's a bad thing. I think that's what I'm talking about when I'm focusing on the end game of these particular stories being for a listener to be spoken out loud, because I, I do think that demands something of the function of the way you work. You can tell the same story in a novel, a short story, a a stand-up routine, a sketch, a half-an-hour sitcom, and the same story, the same endpoints, have to be written a different way because the form is different. Um, I mean, Shirley Jackson's The Lottery... Feels like a 1,500-word story. I suspect it's probably about twice that length. And it's a story in which nothing happens, arguably. But 
there is something that really stir, um, sits in your memory about that and stays with you for long afterwards. And it does have a connection with the audience. However, it's a story written for prose. It's not necessarily a story to be read out loud, although I'm sure there are many recordings of it being spoken loud, out loud. Mm-hmm. I think I agree with you. And I, it's, this is why I'm debating it in my own mind and I have been debating it for about a month of what is the difference between a spoken story and so I suppose maybe storytelling as opposed to reading a story and I also am going back and forth a little bit in my own mind about whether that matters Um, because I think I think you're right inherently there is a difference between reading you sitting on your own in a room reading the words on a page in your own head you know having it in your own mind and it being read to you um i think there's also an element of it although we've spoken about monologue versus short story of treating it to a certain extent like a screenplay or a play script by which I mean nothing more technical than having a bit of white space Mm. in your document Mm. so that not necessarily that you're telling the reader where to pause but somewhat like some of the younger elements of young adult fiction are written in that they are written quite visually Mm. and they allow the audience or the reader very clear things to hook onto, whereas that word that we are using a lot, verbose, the reader is quite, the author, sorry, is quite content to allow a paragraph, eight paragraphs, nine paragraphs, to be focusing on the opening of a tin can, which is not to say that in itself can't be a a really compelling 1,500 story, but there's, I think there's more space, white space on the document arguably in a story that we're going to be reading out loud my mind just said to me (laughs) i just thought about the word ponderous then Hmm. so they would be less ponderous yeah and you and i have been uh, even in this last half hour just been or last 15 minutes being careful about those words like ponderous verbose flowery because they are not necessarily negative things yeah there must be i mean we're not literary theorists ourselves so there must be more words to describe what we're talking about without them all sounding so negative you know flowery ponderous you know um and some of it is about tone because you can talk about something being a bit flowery or you can talk about something being quite flowery and you can talk about something being overly ponderous or something that is deliberately ponderous and which is rather the point i guess that a lot of the stories are about tone and how they are being delivered. Yeah. And because they aren't play scripts, despite what I said earlier about white space on the document, that's why I think arguably a short story that is intended to be read by somebody who, in theory, you will never meet and have a chance to communicate what you want from that story's performance, Mm. contained, easter-egged inside that story has to be a guiding hand to let the reader know how they're meant to deliver that that yeah. story. And that's, I think, something that you wouldn't necessarily be doing in a novel or a short story that's prose only. Because, because basically, with, you, with the short story that's prose only and the reader, that's a relationship just between two people. Um, and... If the reader misunderstands a story, that can be a deliberate feint or sleight of hand by the mm. re- by the writer. Or even if it's not, you can get back on track. If you're writing a short story that's been going to be performed by somebody who, again, may not ever meet you, that's a relationship between at least three people. Mm. The writer, the reader and the audience. And if the writer, if the reader, through no fault of their own, has misinterpreted that story because they haven't picked up on the clues and they have to do an about turn because actually it, we discover that the character they're talking about is their mother and not their partner, mm. 
but they've been re- assuming that tone. That's that's a lot of hard work for the reader to do and for the audience to to yeah. accept. So I think yeah, you have to sort of like almost direct the reader within the contents of the story. And the reader will get time to read it before the night. That is true. That is true. So um, it's not like they will be suddenly stunned by something. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But and I know what you mean. Yeah, if they've misinterpreted what the actual meaning of the story is and then they're halfway through the performance on the night and suddenly go, yeah. oh, oh, I've I've been reading this incorrectly. Yes. Then that would be a shame. Yeah, and I think we have had, um, which is what I, I find quite delightful, um, we have had at least one or two short stories that have played with that very form mm. of... Not only it being an unreliable narrator, but it being literally an unreliable narrator. The person in front of you in the stage is misleading you. Yeah. And I think that's when what I find really quite engaging is particularly in short stories, or by which I mean a story that is short, that could be a short film or whatever, mm. um, when it really leans into the form in which it exists. There are, there are books, novels I have where the prose begins to have arguments with its own footnotes. Yeah. Um, or there are films where the film that you're watching will stop and be taken over by people operating the film. Yeah. And that's always quite engaging when a medium of telling a story is very aware of the medium in which it exists. Mm. So, to summarise... <laughs> oh, it feels like we've only got started, but yeah. yeah. Well, to summarise in terms of how to write what we might be looking for. Yeah. Are, is, are we saying then that writing a short story to be read aloud is a different skill to writing a short story that is not to be let, read aloud? I absolutely do believe that. Even if I can't particularly explain that well, I think that's fundamental, yeah. And there is something to be said for being economical with language and being very clear with your structure which you'd hope you'd be yeah. in a in a written in a prose a short story that isn't to be read aloud but there's a clarity of form yeah Absolutely. Which is not to say that you can't cheat and if there's a, a short story on your desk that was always written for prose but happens to fit the theme of sanctuary, yeah. you can't sort of... You, you absolutely can steal that from yourself and and tweak it or even not tweak it that much because it still works as a story yeah. read out loud and send it to us. And you were talking about clarity and that reminds me of a thing that I've often been aware of and I don't hear it discussed often enough. If your story that does exist already, or the story that you're writing for us now, is 1,800 words, or 1,900 words, or 1,500 words, and it suffers, and for whatever reason you feel that you cannot edit it down to 1,500 words, the word count is absolute. So it is a 1,500 word and word count. And people sometimes get concerned about that in terms of saying, well, my story doesn't work if it's one thousand four five hundred words mm. and there are two ways of approaching that which essentially boil down to can you be a good enough editor of your own work which is an entire different conversation which is not the one i want you to have now but the actual larger conversation arguably is if your story sincerely cannot work at one thousand five hundred words great and i mean this with with no sense of negative aspect that's great it's not for this submission window Mm. you know don't don't gouge out your story just to meet a submission window or a competition it's clearly a great story but it's and it it may not have existed without this prompt but now it deserves to go somewhere else where it can be 1900 words whatever yeah 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 i would agree with that i think that's a good point um so uh Let's talk about the theme yeah. that we're looking for. So, the theme is sanctuary. I, I get to the C and I don't quite know how to, where to go. Sanct- throw, throw yourself over the cliff. Just say it and then throw yourself over. Sanctuary. There we go. It's a W in there that shouldn't be in there. Sanctuary. I mean, well, I, I'm very bad at uh, pronouncing 
lots of words. Um, like you to a certain extent, but I much more do this a lot more often. But I assume that quite a few of our readers, uh, our listeners, also have this. I have read a lot more words than I pronounce. Mm. So there are a, few, a good few words that I just don't know how to pronounce, even if I've had them repeated to me several times. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I definitely have noticed in the last week, as I've said the word sanctuary um, a lot of times, that there's a definite uh, difficulty that I have with it. But it's a good word and we're keeping it. It is. So I'm going to just keep saying the word and then it won't become a problem. So sanctuary. Sanctuary is our theme. <laughs> Nearly couldn't say theme. What does that mean for the writer then? It's interesting, isn't it? Because as a writer, you, particularly in short fiction, I feel, you tend to go against the word, by which I mean people looking for sanctuary or people who are divorced of sanctuary or people who are denied sanctuary. And particularly in the current political climate where we are very aware of national identity. Mm. We're very aware of islands. We're very aware of passages between islands. We're very aware of borders. Mm. There is, I would assume, a tendency to think about it in exactly those terms and have a opinion about that. As yet, we've I mean, we've had a few submissions already. Yeah, uh, but, quite a few, But yeah. because the deadline hasn't come up yet, we, uh, I don't know if we explain this every time, but we don't tend to read the um, submissions until the uh, deadline. So if you've already sent it to us and you're feeling concerned that you haven't heard anything from us, that's fine. We can say with um, a completely open um, face, no, we haven't read it yet because yeah. we're already on the um, uh, deadline, after the deadline window. Yeah. But yeah, I'm going to assume that there's going to be there's a few submissions mm. that are at least politically flavoured, and I think that's appropriate. Yeah. I think that that's um, what a lot of good writing, particularly, again, spoken word. It's almost a cliche of a um, a dark room in Brighton spoken word event that there would be some mm. opinions or fictional um, stories engendered by opinions mm. that would. Um, have that idea behind it but um could be anything it really could be anything you 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 could do your um unofficial sequel to wash it down um (laughs) that would work so we're not saying there's a way to view that word that word should be a prompt and writers should feel free to use that word to inspire them i think that's fair i think that if your story isn't quite clearly about sanctuary and the word sanctuary never appears and it's not obviously about sanctuary but once we get to the end of the story and somebody said oh that's about sanctuary and you always went oh I, yeah I get that mm. that's appropriate that's fine um let, let's say the writing prompt was uh, about a desk you know a desk and you could have um the characters being lost in Ikea never mentioning the desk you could have the um a story about the last day of a, a president before they're removed from office. You could have hmm. a, a, a story about um, a raven and uh, Ed, Edgar Allan Poe for a somewhat obscure reference to the uh, the word desk. Mm. But all of those are appropriate while not ever mentioning desk. What I wouldn't particularly be engaged by although I'm always working to be proved wrong is a story that's quite oblique and not really about anything and then you realise they're on a desk because the audience who are at this event that's all about six play stories about desks mm. if I have a one story that's quite a boast and spinning its wheels and not really telling me anything and then the big reveal is and they're all secretly on a desk I'm going to probably go I worked that out from the first beat because we're at a night that's all about desks. Yeah. So equally, if I'm going to have two people who are um, talking about their feelings for one another and in the last line they go, it's lucky we escaped the war, isn't it? I'm. It may well be written. We may already have that in our inbox. <laughs> actually, it's a lot better than mm. I've just sold it. But I think don't treat the um, the 
the prompt as the pivot on which your story spins. Yeah, it's not it's not a puzzle to be solved, and by the end we realise because we've given away the answer. was the answer yeah. because they already know the answer. Yeah. It's not that is the answer. What is the question? But you can spend some time running away from the prompt that that's appropriate because yeah. it, it's what drives the story. And yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's all about it. It is about experience as well. Writing, isn't it? I, 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 I was just going to launch off into a big rambling thing about maybe our writers know this. They know, they know this, and they, they, they're skilled at burying meaning, revealing things over time, and I think that's true. I'm really but engaged. it also is an experience thing, isn't it? That actually you and I have been writing um, well over 20 years a piece, probably 30, closer to 30 years a piece. Yeah. And, you still know, learning. we're still learning all the time. But there are things I think that we have to now go, oh, yeah, no, that's that's obvious to us that may actually not be obvious to a newer writer. I think that's fair and... There are, I mean, there are, you know, you and I are both um, getting involved on the Twitter um, hashtag writing community, which is a thing that you also should check out. It's a really supportive environment. But recently there was a a writer who, my memory states, is, you know, reasonably successful. He's got a a few novels out there and Mm. he, I think he stated, I've got six novels out there. The first four were not good at all. I think he yeah. used a stronger w- word than that. And he's quite cheerful. And I imagine, if I read his tone correctly, those four novels that he's been very dismissive of, he's not been self-deprecating and he's not been um, angry about his own work. Yeah. They're probably quite readable and they're probably quite fun, get them done in an in, in uh, evening-type novels. Mm. But he's saying, oh, I could be better and I can improve. And it reminded me again also, this is the week that um, Fleabag ended. And there was somebody um, online talking about how much support that writer, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, had received from the BBC in the early stages to get that from a stage play to a TV play, particularly if she did not think of herself as a TV writer, Mm. which goes back to my earlier point about form and format. And somebody was getting on that thread um, who, to me, appeared as a, as a, a male writer in his 50s, and he said something that was really interesting in that about four years ago, he was at an event where mm. everyone shared 10 minutes of their work in progress. Mm. And it was all a perfectly lovely night. And she, Phoebe Wallbridge, was the last to show a piece of work that was a very, very early, scrappy version of what would have ultimately come Fleabag. Mm. And he said, yeah, we knew straight then. Yeah. We knew that none of us, and again, not without, not with self-deprecating, none of us were good enough compared to that. Yeah. So... All of which is uh, a response to your point about learning and learning from others and being part of that community and just trying new ideas. Yeah, and and I think that's what we want the Cast Iron Shorts events to be because that's this is all under the umbrella of Cast Iron Shorts, which are short story nights that we hold uh, at least one a year. Um, and we have done for the past three years. Um, yeah, maybe the more. Is twice a year. Yeah, maybe twice a year. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think that's what these are all about. That we give you a writing prompt, and you take that in whichever way suits you. And it's all we want them to be a way for writers to gain experience, to have their work be seen and heard, and a way for writers to develop. And we might all be at different stages in our writing careers and we might not even be calling ourselves writers at this stage. But we want, at Cast Iron, we want our our writers to sort of try stuff out. Yeah. And feel supported. Absolutely. I mean, Brighton's a, a great environment for that sort of thing and at Cast Iron we're quite proud that we've got these various platforms that we can offer in terms of short stories or short plays Mm. or longer plays that give you a chance to put your work on its feet yeah and give it quite literally a voice yeah and that's that's great and that's kind of the the point of all of this um the 
competition for writers is open till the 26th of April. Um, you would email your submission to us and we will email you back with a PayPal link. Yeah. Um, submissions are £5.50, um, which is a reading fee, I suppose. Yeah, we, we held off on that as long as we could. And because there is no um, monetary prize at the end of it, I think that it would be understandable if some writers would sort of frown at that, mm. which is one of the major reasons why we tried not to charge a <laughs> for as long as possible. But our inbox got, is, the last year or so, got really full. I mean, yeah. about 400 plus, nearly 450 uh, submissions for the last uh, window. And we're... This is there. This is we we begin and end with excuses. We were we are rehearsing constantly, mm. and we're both uh, essentially in full time employment. And but also we re, we read every single thing yeah. that is sent. Yeah. And also we read them properly. I think that that's a really important point as well. Yeah. We read them properly. Um. And so, in just in terms of self care and looking after ourselves, yeah. I think that's that's my protestation. Yeah, and I I think that's fair, and I I. Hopefully, five pound fifty should be an okay amount for people that grew up in our kind of environments to still be able to afford. Yeah. To pay because we're thinking, okay, it's a little bit because people go, it's the price of a coffee. That's not the price of a coffee. That's a little bit more than the price of a coffee. But it it's we think five pound fifty is about right, and we hope that you guys agree that we probably should value our own. Uh, work in reading and producing the night so hopefully that is I, I okay so. we've got so much guilt haven't we <laughs> um, and I think it begins to sort of engender itself we're hoping in the next few years that that becomes a much more muscular beast yeah and that we can begin to um, offer monetary prizes for um, yeah. those top winners People are um, beginning to hear about the, uh, the Cast Iron yeah. initiative. Um, never been called that before. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's fallen out of my mouth. Um, it's like the Avengers, but with less people. Yeah, more and, more introverted. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, uh, I think that our hope is that we do have some sort of um, prize fund in the future, but that somewhat conversely and perversely can only operate at this, uh, begin to operate at this level when we begin to sort of create even more of a name for ourselves and allow give the platform for our writers to create names for themselves as well yeah i think i think so our our big dream would be definitely to hold a big annual writing prize where there's a a significant amount of money in and kudos for writers and to discover people and uh just be like amazingly cool to find the next big writer and we are on the way to doing that and we hope that that anyone submitting to cast iron shorts sanctuary will be like empowered to keep doing it and keep submitting their short stories to to us over the years because you never know you never know you never know um we are as i say that as you said already the deadline's coming up at the end of this month Mm mm-hmm um, at which point, and then the event itself will be in June. Yeah. Uh, at Sweet Works, uh, Sweet Venues in the heart of Brighton, in the Brighton Lanes. Yeah. Um, if you are not local, then you know, come down and um, it's just a few minutes walk from the beach, actually. Yeah. Um, and come along, look at the beach, look at some pebbles, look at the pier, look at the wheel. No, not on the wheel anymore. It's not the wheel, not is the it? Wheel it's the i360. It's the i360. Yeah. And look at um, the, the short stories that we were that we will be presenting. Yeah, and it should be a fabulous, fabulous evening. Yeah. We will be announcing the winners of Cast Iron Shorts um, in around about the end of May. When is the performance of um, Cast Iron Shorts? June the 14th. So, yeah, probably around the end of May, let me a touch earlier, but yeah. Yeah, to give us a chance to read them all as well. Well, uh-huh. give us a chance to read them all and also give um, you a chance if you or one of your esteemed um, colleagues, friends or lifelong enemies has got <laughs> a short story in then you might want to make the trip to come down and see one of our wonderful actors yeah uh, deliver those stories yeah 
And that's kind of it for this week, isn't it? Is, it? Yeah. I as we mentioned uh, the i three sixty then. Uh, it reminded me of Esme. Esme Bird. Yes, a wonderful champion who, gosh, was it last month? No, it was last it was, month. It was a little while back. Last month in March, at the end of March, she um, abseiled from the top of the I360. In the I360, you can Google it, I360 Brighton. It's a, uh, what is it, like a, a big thing with a donut around it that you can like viewing I, platform and it goes up and down very very high i invite you to um publicly ask the people of brighton what is the i360 I, and see what manner of responses you get do you know i'm not i'm not with the haters i think it's beautiful it's whatever <laughs> it is it's a good thing and you can go up and down on it i'm not a big fan of heights um so i've, I've been up it once i saw the sights i came back down had a little cry that was it. But Esme... She, kept, she went up and down. She went up and down. She went up yep. in the in the viewing platform donut thing Yes. to the top of that I-360. And then? And then she threw herself from the I-360 whilst attached to ropes. And she did it all for charity, abseiling down the I-360 very early on a Sunday morning. Have a look at our Twitter feed at Cast Iron Axe because uh, there's a short video of her doing exactly that. And the reason we've shared that video is... Mm-hmm. Well, she was raising money on our behalf for RISE, um, which is our charity of uh, 2019. It's a local charity in Brighton. It supports people who are affected by domestic violence. Uh, she's raised over £200 so far for that charity. The Just Giving page for Esme is still open, so if you would like to donate more money... Let us get it past the three hundred mark. Oh, it'd be you. amazing! But I mean, she uh, we made it at three hundred and sixty pounds yeah, yeah. for that. I three sixty or four hundred. Oh yes, three sixty. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah, you should be marketing. I should. <laughs> anyway, yes, and so that's what she did, and she did it for us because. I am a terrible coward when it comes to heights, and so much so that I also wouldn't allow Andrew Allen to do it either. But Esme took up the challenge and uh, abseiled for under the name of Cast Iron and her own name, of course, and raised money for Rise. So yeah, I went I went down a little loop with that. You did. You found that as soon as we started speaking about heights, uh, you need a sanctuary of your own. You, 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 oh. You're getting. You're going to have to have a sit down and a jaffa cake uh, later. <sighs> but we don't have any jaffa cakes. Oh. Um, so you see what oh. I did there? Um, so oh. um, mention of the cast iron Twitter feed uh, and also the hashtag right community uh, prompts me to um, remind you if you're not already doing so. Um, f- there are many mediums that you can find us on. Uh, either it be our own website, Cast Iron um, Theatre, or you can find the page on Facebook, uh, Cast Iron Brighton. Uh, but also there are at least three feeds that you can follow us as writers on Twitter. Uh, so there are um, there's Cast Iron Axe, there's an underscore in there somewhere. Yeah, Cast underscore Iron Axe, A-C-T-S, Axe, like acting. Um, and that's for the main Cast Iron page. Yes, it is. Um, in that profile you can find our other pages as well. But we also have... Uh, the page for the Sit Pod, which is the Cast Iron Theatre podcast. Yes. So um, that's C I T underscore P O D. I believe that's I right, may be yeah. wrong on that. No, you're right. Um, uh, there's my Twitter page, which is Michelle Donkin W. Um, so that's me being a writer and a person, and a, uh, it's mostly about me writing a book. Which is fun because you are uh, on your second draft at the moment with your novel. I think, yeah, I've just finished the second draft. Whoop, whoop. I'm very, 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 very proud. I'm very pleased. Um, yeah, I am in the post-draft glow at the moment of uh, of going, this is wonderful, and I'll get straight on to writing the third draft. And if you want uh, to... Um... Follow me for, for the um, the joy of me trying to advertise whatever show I'm directing at that moment, <laughs> either the uh, or the Brighton Ghost Walks that I occasionally uh, deliver, or talking about my uh, novel novella really in novella, progress yeah. and uh, uh, lem- uh, fringe length play that's been written at the moment, or just muttering about you know what what's going on in the state of um, TV at the moment, or whatever. <laughs> then uh, my Twitter handle 
is at my grain. That's my underscore grain. Grain being spelt G R A Y N E, um, and I'm I'm there somewhere, and I I I likely tweeted in the last thirty minutes before you find me. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, and if you listen to the podcast regularly, please, please, please tell your friends. Please get them to listen. It really, really, really helps. We have grown over the last ooh, two years, three years into what can only be described as a podcast with more listeners and previously had we have an archive as well we've got 50 plus episodes yeah. um we've got uh, lots of uh, lovely one-on-one interviews yeah uh we have got uh, uh interviews that are at the edinburgh and brighton fringes yeah and uh, we have even got a few live episodes with a bit of um local music uh from a local sketch group the fantasticals with a bit of um satirical topical music yeah. so we've got something for your tastes i mean um yeah. just scroll down the list of previous episodes and you'll find something that may interest you yeah and uh do rate review um and subscribe to this podcast because it really does help people find the podcast so before we go what are we going to be talking about next week what should we chat about because we've got six weeks that we've agreed we shall chat about cast iron business and cast iron business only no interviewees yeah nothing but us um, so what should we chat about next week? I was Bearing en- in mind that next week should actually be next week and not in a month's time. <laughs> I was quite engaged when we were having those conversations at Cast Iron 12, the short play night when the writers turned up and talked to us about what they were getting out of the podcast. And I think that it's going to be interesting for us to talk about the nature of writing or mm. writing environments or how to write a short play, a long play, um, how you treat characters um, even if we do spinning it over into prose because we're both busy working with novels and novellas at the moment and or indeed the business of how how one puts on a night of short plays uh, or entertainment yeah. how that works because it, is it as simple as just finding a room sticking some lights on and throwing some actors on the stage is it that simple or should it be that simple mm. there's all that to discuss and I think that I'm not particularly aware of what avenue we might chat about next week Uh, and the reason i say all of that paragraph is that you people listening now have an opportunity to nag us on twitter or facebook and go oh actually i quite liked it when you spoke about this let's hear more of that or it could be literally this it could be literally that you are having a problem about how to get that 20 page script down to a 10 page script Mm. Um, and you feel instinctively that it could be read. I'm not, I'm not saying that we are right now in the position to be able to script doctor a particular script. That can come later. But in terms <laughs> of these podcast episodes, you might just ask us a fairly open-ended question in, it could be that, how did you? How would you get a 20-page down script yeah. down to a 10-page script? That'd be nice. And then if we do have any questions like that or musings, that will be out prompt. Yeah. Okay, well, let's do that then. And um, we'll take a look at the writing community hashtag on um, the Twitter. We'll ask Twitter. Um, and we'll ask Twitter. There are an, uh, at least one other... There is at least one other podcast, which is kind of the podcast for the hashtag. Yeah. Um, so we might chat to them as well. Yeah. Or at least I'll try and find it. Because I think they'll be they'll be talking about interesting stuff as well. So if we can do a shout out to them, that would be really great. Um, but yeah, we might have a look on the the hashtag and so. see what other writers are asking. Because there is a brilliant little community out there of writers cheering each other on. Do you find um, that there is arguably more a community of prose writers on hashtag writing community than there is? Screenplay and stage craft. Yes, but only who knows what the algorithms are showing me at the moment. Um, yeah, it. I I believe that to be the case. It may well be because there are other hashtags around for um, more specific genres and more specific things. I've noticed there is um, 
uh, I am writing fantasy, so, I, f- you know, I'm writing sci-fi, I'm writing this, you know. I have noticed that whenever I try and hashtag am writing, the first one that comes up is am writing fantasy. Yeah, that's a huge community. There's a lot of fantasy writers out there, which is really great to see and somewhat intimidating to see because that's my genre yeah. as well. <laughs> but, no, I think I think it's great. It's very gift-based as well. You know the whole the whole community, but there's a lot of response via GIF, so GIF let, or GIF. So let's let's um, end this podcast with um, giving <laughs> uh, our listeners um, the the GIF that keeps on giving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please uh, describe for our listeners <laughs> the GIF that that explains your mood right now the gift that explains my mood is any of the gifts that involve people being celebratory and sharing each other in champagne there's a few of those what about you um i can't think of a specific one um (laughs) that anything that has like eyes nervously going from side to side i think because because i've got about three or four writing projects that really need to be done now and so it is that sort of uh, okay here's the one that was um <laughs> said by tom neenan uh the comedian tom neenan uh and the title for his uh gift was um uh Theresa may uh extending brexit plans and it was um gromit the dog laying down train track as the train was going. Yes. And quite engagingly, almost everybody responded by saying, I think you'll find that Gromit is actually the intelligent one in that relationship and is uh, focused, dedicated, <laughs> and always knows more what he's doing. Fair. But yeah, I think that, yeah. That, that's my, that is my gift at the moment, is uh, Gromit um, laying down train track, trying to survive the deadline. Brilliant. Okay, well, on that note, we shall uh, end it for an episode. Yes. Thank you, Andrew Allen. Thank you, Michelle Duncan. This has been the Cast Iron Theatre Podcast. Presented by Andrew Allen. And edited by Michelle Donkin. Music is Chapstick by Everett Armand. Find us on Twitter, on Facebook, and our website, castironbrighton.weebly.com. Subscribe to us and rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. Thanks for listening. Before we go, though, there was something I was going to say. It's a great way to sign off, I think. I, 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 <laughs> but that, that's quite <laughs> that's quite avant-garde Beatles album '92. Before we before we leave you, however, there's just this, and then just have 14 minutes of silence while people go. And then, because maybe they're listening to the podcast last thing at night or whatever, <laughs> and it's in, the, it's in their headphones, you go, and before we leave you, just this. Don't say anything for 14 minutes, and then after 40 minutes, go, turn it off!